0: Thank you. This Torah portion is called Vayakhel. It is the next to last Torah portion of um, the book of Exodus. We're going to pay attention to a particular verse in it, but you can find the beginning of the Torah portion on page 612. It's Exodus chapter 35. I had a lot of fun preparing for this this morning, so we'll see where this conversation goes. Okay, so now that the, um, unfortunately, uh, Ellen had to cancel class last, uh, Rabbi Ellen had to cancel class last Thursday because her My brother-in-law's, father died. brother-in-law's father died. You went to Boston? Um, so, uh, so we didn't get to hear your discussion about the golden calf, but where we are in the narrative is that uh, um, after the debacle of the golden calf, um, Moses goes back up the mountain and receives a second set of tablets, and then comes down the mountain and harmony, connection has been restored, and uh, it's now, they are now able to move forward with building a dwelling place for God in their midst. And so, now the actual building happens. That's what's taking place. The, assemb- the creation and assembly of the Mishkan, the dwelling place for God, which also gets referred to occasionally as the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, often translated also into um, English as the tabernacle. Mishkan uh, is a dwelling place for God. And so, um, just to summarize, the, because this class is called the shadow side of Torah, I'm going to go for a verse that uh, just kind of like opens up a whole subterranean uh, narrative here, but it's a beautiful portion. Everyone brings from the generosity of their hearts gifts for everything that's going to make the temple. Everyone who has uh, is wise of heart, whose heart is uplifted, the word heart is all over this portion. Uh, women and men, the women weave, the, uh, all the hangings and closures for the tent uh, and they even bring so much that the foremen of the work tell Moses we have more than we need tell them to stop and Moses has to issue a decree stop bringing gifts which is a beautiful, a beautiful thought of what the kind of over, overwhelming generosity that leads to the creation of a dwelling place for God right there's there's a, it's a, a beautiful way of putting it. And this man named Bitzalel, who is a symbolic figure, we've talked about him over the years, he is, um, has chokhmah, bina, and da'at. He has wisdom, understanding, and discernment, and he can translate these sublime designs that have been given to Moses into actual physical form. He's, he's, he's a crap. He's a master, inspired craftsman, and uh, Betzalel oversees all the work, and does a lot of it himself. And as we've talked about other years, Betzalel's name means, in the image of God, Betzal, And uh, so between Moses and Betzalel, it's just it's it's very rich. So all of that's going on. And then turn to page six hundred nineteen, Chapter thirty eight, verse eight. Is that that why the art is? is Yes, that's why when, um, the early Zionists, uh, in the very beginning of the 20th century, were creating educational institutions in Jerusalem. They created the Bezalel Art Institute, the Bezalel Institute um, in Jerusalem. Um, okay, so now they've made the lampstand, the menorah, the altar. The, it's just, we've been going on and on and on. And then in verse 8, there is this insertion. He made, meaning B'tzalel, the laver of copper, the wash basin. A laver is a wash basin. And its stand of copper, the purpose of the wash basin, we'll go look at it in a minute. From the mirrors of the women who perform tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Shall I read that again? He made the wash basin of copper and its stand of copper from the mirrors of the women who perform tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So what is that all about? And that's what we're going to look at today. <laughs> and from la- Allah, from a lot of different directions. Um, so let's talk about that wash basin first. Uh, the other Where it gets described is back in the descriptions, uh, back in chapter 30. I'll just read it to you. You don't have to uh, go all the way back there. Here's what it says about the wash basin. Um, chapter 30, verse 17. Okay. The Eternal One spoke to Moses, saying, Make a wash basin of copper and a stand of copper for it for washing, and place it between the tent of meeting and the altar. The altar's in front. Uh, in the diagram, the altar is in the, in, the, in the courtyard. And then there's a space that goes into the tent of meeting behind it. And there's supposed to be this wash basin there made of copper. Put water in it, and let Aaron and his sons wash their hands and feet from it, when they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with this water that they may not die. Or when they approach the altar to serve, to turn it into smoke, an offering by fire to the eternal, they shall wash their hands and feet that they may not die. It shall be a law of all time, for all time for them uh, throughout the ages. So this wash basin, this copper wash basin, is not about hygiene. Okay, it's not about getting some bad germs from the meat you're sacrificing. It's not, it's, not it's not about hygiene, let's so not go there. Uh, something about this copper wash basin is crucial in the biblical mindset where you had to purify yourself by washing in water. Remember, our tradition is, is the, where the idea of, of mikvah, of baptism, comes from, where you immerse in order to be in the presence of God. In order to be in a holy precinct, you have to do a ritual immersion. You have to ritually purify yourselves, and uh, so that you can be in the presence of the divine. And that is, and if you're not in that pure, that 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 sanctified state, your encounter with the divine could be fatal, according to this, right? Uh, so that's the purpose of the wash basin. I just wanted to explain that. It's not just, it's not just a place to get ready for dinner, right? Um, okay. Now, so that's the wash basin. It's, Dan- it's one of the things that has been instructed to Moses on Mount Sinai to to uh, be part of the calim, uh, um, part of the uh, furnishings of this meeting place for God. So... Uh, Let's see, where to start? These women have mirrors. Marot. And uh, it says, the women who perform tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Perform tasks. That is like a cop-out. Because uh, what does it mean? Look at the Hebrew. Look at this Hebrew. Uh, Verse 8 on chapter 31 38 and he made the copper basin and its stand bimar asher the word here is asher so this is a very strange and interesting word in hebrew one of the names of god is adonai Tzvaot. Okay, anybody who knows Hebrew, what's tzavah? Army. Army in modern Hebrew. So uh, tava are legions, it's an army. Army. Um, so Adonai tzvaot, the Lord of hosts, is how it was translated in the King James, right? I never knew what a host was, you know, because it's like, was not my English. It's like someone who hosts things. I never knew what it meant. It's a
1: little communion wafer. (laughs) I don't know what it is, the host. It's the transubstantiation of...
0: In Christianity? In Catholicism. In Catholicism?
1: Well, what it is, is it's the holla and the wine. That's what it is. The host is the holla.
0: But why is, what does host mean?
1: Host means that little wafer. That they give you. Yeah, but it's okay, kind of so I want to
0: say that that's already a couple oh, yeah. of steps
1: removed. Right.
0: removed from its original meaning, at least. Um, when, because uh, it also, when the sun and moon and stars are, de- are described, they're called the hosts of heaven, oh. right? So it means a legion. You know, the, and God, the Lord of hosts, generally, night's vote seems to mean the the, the 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 master of the heavenly hosts, right? The stars, the moon, and the sun, all of it under God's uh, domain, right? And command. Yes. And and also the various heavenly other beings that are singing praises. All the uh, right the heavenly hosts are not just the stars and moon and, 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 and sun, they're also the 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 myriads upon myriads of heavenly beings who are uh, exists up there in that realm and who are praising the Lord of those hosts, right? So, so but Taba also, when say the Israelites go forth from Egypt, they go so They're in they're in it's it's a military term. So it's both. So it legions might be a good translation, but. Tzavah is used in two ways. Um, it's used for waging war, like the legions that go out, but it's also used throughout the Torah as a word for um, uh, serving in uh, the, serving the serving the divine. right? The Kohens, the Levites. Uh, Tzavim. So the word gets used in two different ways that seem to be related. So what I want to do is First, I want to talk about this. I found this great article by Janet Everhart, Serving Women and Their Mirrors, a feminist reading of Exodus uh, 38, eight. Um, who, uh, and, and I want to look at um, uh, where we see women serving in, this, in the whole sanctuary in Judaism. We don't see it very much, but it's all colored by thousands of years of thinking women can't serve in the sanctuary, right? So, um, so the beauty for me and the val- one of the great values of new feminist readings is like it punctures all of our all of our preconceptions about what these women were doing. Um, it's pretty clear. Uh, so let me let me just uh, let me just see if I can. If Jensen, I, yeah. Can
1: I just throw in a couple of kabbalistic correspondences? Okay? Yes. That are very feminine. Yeah, wanna, you're gonna have to speak louder. I, I just want to throw in a couple of kabbalistic correspondences that are very feminine. So copper is always related to water, which is always related mm-hmm. to a feminine quality, and mirrors are always related to the moon. Which is also a feminine quality, mirroring the sun, and there are, you know, there are practices in Sefirot Zera that are about bringing the water and the moon together, mm-hmm. specifically, like in this passage, that are about sort of this feminine reflection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Good. So what I want to do first is some cross-cultural stuff about women and mirrors that this author uh, uh, makes. Very clear. But then I want to talk about what the Jewish Midrashic tradition does with this passage, which is very interesting too. And I think it'll all come together. Um, so, um, just, just as so here, Reverend Childs. Reverend Childs is a classic, must be 100 years ago now, uh, uh, um, biblical scholar. His, the stuff, I read some of his stuff in college, you know, when I we was studying the Old Testament. Brevard Charles shares a common bias against <laughs> granting women a cultic role. Cultic means serving in the religious leadership, the priestly leadership. Quote, he asks, why is their work described by the verb tzava? Because we know from studying all the other indications of where this verb happens, it clearly has to do with serving in the sacred precinct. Uh, the verb "sava, which denotes a professional organization like the Levites, some commentators have suggested a cleaning and repair service.
2: <laughs>
0: Others singing and dancing. <laughs> right? So it's like, you can't imagine that women would serve as priestesses, right? So you just have to figure they're the cleaning ladies. Or maybe making, right, it's like that kind of, and she has a whole bunch of examples like that, uh, of what would prevent us from seeing this, from, from seeing this in a different, in a different light. Um, and so she does this, oh, I want to also point out that this word mar'ot, mirrors, this is the only time that this word appears as such in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. In other words, there are words, and I remember this from my training, called hapax legomena, which means words in the Hebrew Bible that appear only once, so that you don't have anywhere else to compare them to.
3: This is it hey, In Latin. Latin.
0: Hapax hey, legomena. I just happen to remember that. <laughs> Did, cool sound. <laughs>
4: weren't there mirrors when the Jews were slaves in Egypt and the wives wanted to get them? Midrash.
1: Midrash? Yeah.
0: It's all midrash. That's where we're going to go.
1: And it's
0: marot? Marot. Marot. The word comes from the root? Roet. Roet, to see. But we don't know for sure what it means. You have to—it's just an educated guess. However, with the because it only appears once. When you have a biblical word that appears twice, you look at it here, you look at it there, and you say you kind of can make a more educated guess because of the context of each word. Here we only have the root. Wherever marot appears elsewhere, in or maré, uh, it means e means appearance. Like Rachel was, was beautiful of appearance. Comes from the word see, right? To, to see. Um, but also, is a vision. So that um, um, when Genesis, when Jacob has a night dream where God tells him, not the dream of the ladder, but later when it's time to return, to uh, a home again. It says God spoke to him in marot laila in night visions. And also in Ezekiel uh, there's he has a, a marot elohim, a divine vision where he sees Jerusalem uh, from his exile in Babylon, right? So it it's a very interesting word that appears to mean mirrors here. But then I started reading about the place of mirrors in the ancient world. We take mirrors for granted. They're everywhere. These mirrors were not made of glass. They were made of burnished copper, or silver, or maybe gold, even. And they were a very special item, very special. You looked in it. And you saw your reflection. Like, what is going on here? A mirror is a vision. And then I started rereading Narcissus, you know, and uh, just the. So, so, uh, the things we take for granted, such as the ubiquity of seeing our own reflection, uh, were not the case in the ancient world. Having a mirror was a special. Pretty special thing. So listen to this. Um, okay, I'll get to that part in a little bit. Let's stick with the mirrors for a while. Um, ah, Marot is a good guess because in uh, cognate languages of the ancient Near East, such as Hittite and Akkadian, where they found a lot of cuneiform tablets and a lot of inscriptions. And in the, in the last 150 years, all kinds of knowledge about ancient Hebrew has expanded because of being able to compare it to other ancient Near Eastern languages that had been lost. And it's very important always to mention that the fact that Hebrew is still around as a spoken language is uh, unique, a unique phenomenon in the world. These other ancient Near Eastern languages ceased to be spoken a long time ago. No, it's not unique. It's almost unique, because uh, Aramaic Aramaic. Mm is still spoken in certain circles. So um, uh, uh, it's not unique. It's It's a very rare phenomenon. But now we know about these other languages. So Akkadian mirrors are called namaru, Sounds like Marot, right? Um, In Egypt, a single word, Ankh, A-N-K-H. I bet some of you are familiar with that term. What's the Ankh symbol? Life. Ankh means life, and it means mirror.
5: It looks like a mirror.
0: It was a mirror. The Ankh symbol, which is now the symbol of women, uh, that's, you know, the... The 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 little cross with the circle on it—that's mm-hmm. an ank from Egypt, which was a mirror. It also means life. So when you think about you know uh, how shades and vampires can't see themselves in a mirror, you know and uh, all this all of the uh, oh God uh, uh, w- with Snow White right with mirror mirror on the wall and like through the looking glass. No, oh, mirrors are like magic.
5: That's how you tell if
0: somebody's still alive, if they can fog a mirror. That's right. For example, another thing. Yeah. So, so I wanted to, like, so while I was reading and where I want us to go is to kind of put our imagination into the place of the power of a, a mirror if the Ankh symbol, which has also always been associated with the feminine in these different mythologies, according to this article, which I found very persuasive. So let me read a little more. Uh, in Egypt, the word ankh means both mirror and life. The ankh was originally a female symbol associated with images of goddesses in the ancient Near East. Many handheld mirrors from the ancient Near East were shaped remarkably like the ankh, and the symbol is widely used in contemporary culture to designate women, woman or female. Uh, mirrors are well attested in the ancient world and are most often associated with women. Uh, The earliest mirrors, for which we have evidence, date from 6,000 BCE at female burial sites in Anatolia, in in, uh, Turkish, Turkey. Um, Metallic mirrors began in like the fourth millennium BCE. And I'm going to go to where I highlighted. In Assyria, queens were often pictured with the mirror of the goddess Kubaba obviously in order to portray them as images of the goddess. Uh, uh, during the second millennium, Kubaba and other deities are depicted holding mirrors, and the motif of a seated or standing female, identified as a goddess, wife, or daughter, holding a mirror in one hand, and either a spindle or a pomegranate in the other, appears on numerous neo-Hittite um, uh r- remains of the first millennium. Uh, A text from Middle Egyptian wisdom literature illustrates the value ascribed to a mirror. As a result of newly acquired wealth, a woman, quote, who saw her face in the water owns an ankh, a mirror. And in late period, an Egyptian ritual included the presentation of a mirror by a priestess as a votive offering to a goddess. The longevity and geographical radius of the mirror's association with female power and divinity are remarkable. And then she cites examples from Persia, China, Greece, Japan, and Anatolia, where mirrors have been connected with women's rituals and female deities. Okay, I didn't know that. But some of you might have. Um, So... I want to go back to the, that that idea of a, of a mirror in one hand and a spindle in the other. It also makes me think of um, Snow White, yeah. mm-hmm. doesn't That's it? Yeah. yeah. But also, also Sleeping Beauty Sleeping, is it? Sleeping
3: Beauty
0: was a spindle. Oh, Sleeping Beauty is the spindle. Okay. Um, however, in our parsha, um, it says. Take a look at um, page 613, that's chapter 35, verse 25. And all the skilled women spun with their own hands and brought what they had spun in blue, purple, and crimson yarns and in fine linen. And all the women who excelled in that skill spun the goat's hair." Sure. It's OK. Um, so the women are sing. first of all, the contributions to the sanctuary are explicitly from men and women in this portion. And the women have particular things to bring, which are the spinning. And their mirrors, in addition to their gold and their jewelry and everything else that they that they offer, but they are singled out as excelling in um, weaving. So the we- and that these are the classic female. This uh, right? What's distaff? It's part of a. It's, a it's part of. The it's spindle. a spindle, right? They're so so it, So just thinking about this in terms of. This, this, these resonances, both mirrors and, and the distaff spindle are almost exclusively associated with women. And these are their contributions to the Holy Sanctuary. Um, why, yeah. why, though, are
5: mirrors through these different cultures that you mentioned associated with women?
0: Yes, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pharaoh looked at him. Yeah. I think it has to do with makeup. Yes, or why? And pleasing men. Yeah. Um, uh, could be, but that doesn't have to be from a place of subservience. No. Uh, right. It, then
6: the question can't is, why see? did that please men? Like, like
5: because I. Because mean, men you can like to look at women.
6: But, but why did they have to be made up? Or, I mean, you can just keep going back, right? You can just keep. Where's this
0: them, come from?
6: Right. Where does it actually come from? That. I,
0: why I'm why not going. I, I'm. We called this. I call this the shadow side of Torah, so we could explore questions like this. I don't have the answers, but <laughs> amongst us, we we'll get we get somewhere. Nice and loud, Mark.
1: But you mentioned Narcissus. I mean, the problem with Narcissus is that he falls in love with his own reflection. But on the other hand, it's like right in our heart to ferret is about beauty. I mean, I don't I, th- I think this idea that we always have to be pejorative about beauty and beauty always has to be for someone else and what like beauty's really super important.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Our biases about why women make themselves up and uh, may in 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 the uh, transactional economy of, you know, needing to have a man. Uh, no, I think
5: it's um I think it's much more animalistic than that. Uh, Good. I think, uh, you know, what are we here for? To reproduce, right? Mm -hmm. And men have to want to mate with a woman Mm -hmm. to make that happen. And women have to attract a mate just like every other Mm -hmm. kind of animal. And, I don't know, when you're
7: seeking to, be, to mate, you look for certain qualities.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good, good, Barb.
7: Even though in the animal kingdom, it's usually the male yeah, that's showier, like
6: and, and, and in a tribe in right. West Africa, the Wadabi tribe, the men make themselves up and try to attract the women, and the women are the, the ones who need to be impressed.
0: Uh, so yes, no, so it's all fluid. Yeah, there are, yes, there are exceptions right. to the rules. There's exceptions to the general trend, but the general trend from this article, which I find persuasive, is that the mirror is associated with the feminine. Yeah?
3: So, another way of looking at mirrors is like to assess the level of beauty. So it made me think about, I had a friend from Afghanistan who grew up without the luxury of mirrors, and he said there'd be like, if there were big events, like carnivals or something, there would be a person holding the mirror for other people to look, so that they could get to see themselves. Well. Isn't that sweet? And he he said, "I'm a psychotherapist," and he said, "That's what you are, Deborah. You're that person who holds the mirror for people." And that actually made me. Wow! May Whoa! Could you
0: hear what she said? Hold on. I want I want to make sure you can hear what she's saying because this goes where I, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere for me. Go ahead.
3: Again, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure where, but it touched that for me that. So if, we, if, we, if we're not looking at, like, am I pretty enough, like a mirror could be a chance to see yourself. And somebody holding that mirror could be someone who helps you to do that. So anyway, he brought that deeper.
1: Deep.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Yes?
1: I just want to point out that that symbol of the woman is the astrological symbol for Venus, so Aphrodite. So Aphrodite really comes into her power through seeing her beauty.
0: Would you talk about Aphrodite and Venus just a little bit so we have context? Venus on a clam, on a on a half shell?
1: <laughs> well, again, it's this it's this rising out of water. So it's like you clean through the copper, you clean through... You, it's like you go through an alchemical process and you clean your hands and then you... It's the birth of Venus, like the Botticelli, right? Mm-hmm. And you rise out of the water and... It's your feminine beauty that's allowing your birth, you know, Vena, Aphrodite is not born, she's born of one of the titans, one of the, you know, like the upper triangle, like, you know, like in the Bina-Hochma kind of area, like this sort of abstract um, Comes of archetypal mm-hmm. thing. It came out right? of the head of somebody. Just Zeus. Zeus yeah. But that's Athena being born yeah. out of Zeus's head, oh. but this is different. She is born out of Kronos' discarded sperm into the ocean. Wow. Yeah. So she's just kind of born all of herself and needs to have someone mirror her in order to see who she is because she's not even born of parents. She's born of this kind of elemental. of the elemental. Mm-hmm. She's born of the sea. Exactly. Born
0: of the elemental, comes out of the, the unformed sea, the, the great sea.
1: And so in a way, she is... Like if we're doing the four worlds, she is the embodiment of Yetzirah, of the
0: of, of the watery of the
1: watery and of the spine and of the sort of watery movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh blaze.
5: So so if one is holding up a mirror, yes.
0: So that one can
5: see oneself, yes. then the mirrors could be something that enables God to see God's self when mm. they're in the
0: and what, by, by following that thread, what does it mean in Judaism when it says we are created in the image of God? So, that, so the human image, seeing ourselves, seeing God, it's all wrapped I, together there, isn't it?
5: It is. And I had one more thing that I've been mulling over about mirror, and that is when we use it as a verb, as in you know, his thoughts mirrored my thoughts or
0: mm-hmm. whatever, something mm-hmm. like
6: that. So I don't know how applicable that is. It's
0: good. But it's mm-hmm. something to throw into the... It's plane. good. Uh, and I want to reiterate uh, speaking that that, that uh, Deborah managed to speak to someone who grew up in an environment where mirrors were special, something you'd encounter and, and, and see yourself, uh, how profound that must be.
6: Can I just say, I, I traveled to a very distant part of Mali. And I was sitting in animals uh, community, and I was it was very, very hot. It was like 120 degrees, and I was wearing sunglasses, and all these kids, I mean, they're all naked, and they're all just coming up to me, and I thought they were looking at me and looking in my eyes and trying to see who I am. <laughs> they were looking no, they were seeing their <laughs> reflection mm-hmm. because there's no water there, very, very little water. And there is no, there is nothing for them to have a reflection in it. just, There is no metal, there's nothing like that. So they were all, and I, I didn't get it at first, and then I realized what was going
0: on. What an interesting memory, yeah. wow. Yeah. And thank you. Barb, what did you oh, want to say?
7: It's not the physical mirror, but we say, isn't there an expression, hold up a mirror to yourself when we're saying, you know, maybe look at yourself and what you're doing mm-hmm. and not commenting mm-hmm. or berating or whatever, mm-hmm. else. So. Mirror you can talk about
0: things that are not as like physical and visible. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Jane. Just a
7: little
3: comment. Born of the sea, S-E-A, but you were born from the
0: sea. S-E-E. S-E-E. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Gail, just, oh, just one second. Gail?
2: Yeah.
8: Mirrors certainly were used for divination. And, I mean, and it's connected to somehow being able to see yourself. It's also the, the mystery of looking in
0: and, and how does it work? That, you, know, you know what I mean? So it's, yes. It's a magic entryway. It's an entryway through the looking glass. Mm-hmm. But it's also, and, not but, and, um, mirrors distort. So, smoke and mirrors. House of mirrors, right? What's real, what's not real? It's like mirrors are a portal into magic and mystery in all kinds of ways, aren't they?
8: Well, I'm just so aware that this whole section with building the Mishkan and the priest vestments and all that are so shamanic. I mean, there's so much magic There's so much magic
0: in, so much magic in it. Surprise me
8: if the mirrors are also serving a magical function. That, that's what i Right.
0: That's what. That's what I want to build us towards, and then ask questions about the verse. Uh, Miriam and uh, um, uh, Carol. Carol. Sorry, Carol and <laughs> sure. and uh, Jane, and then um, Marka. To
5: see Israel
0: A. To see Israel That's right. What
5: is SEA?
0: Oh, it's not a cognate in it in Hebrew. Yam. It's, it, no, the pun in English doesn't work in Hebrew. Um, uh, Tara?
2: Um, so, essentially, what, Barb, what you were saying is that mirrors are really tools of self-reflection, which is something that women do and sometimes we wish men did more of. But, uh, no, I, mean, uh, I I know some very self-reflective men.
0: So Don't worry, so. we can handle it. Um, <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing was, i
2: just... <laughs> um, I'm curious why the, the uh, washing place had to be made out of mirror out of
0: copper. Why out of copper and then why out of the mirrors of the women who not performed tasks but who apparently did some kind of holy service that later gets, uh, what's the right word, uh, edited out of later Judaism?
5: Basically.
0: Well, I don't know. Uh, 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 they get they ser- kicked out sure. Why not? Because
5: they gave the mirrors away.
0: Well, that's right. So is this a text of gl- elevating ah. and glorifying uh, these mirrors that become this wash basin, which let's assume this wash basin with water in it becomes a giant mirror uh, uh, because... You see, you see. You see yourself, you see yourself in the, both in the burnished copper and in the water itself, that's in the wash basin. So they give it over, so this wash basin is a powerful symbol, but only the men can use it. So is this like some chronicle of disenfranchisement? Or is this, on the other hand, we don't have, I don't have the answer to this, or is it, on the other hand, an elevation of the women's offering? You know uh, that becomes part and parcel of the 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 the, the holy sanctuary. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Jane, you had your hand up before. Yeah, I, now I have two. Questions. Sure. Well,
8: why do we cover the mirrors at the time of death?
0: Oh yes, that. yes. Well, that appears to be a medieval custom because the time of death is considered now. How it gets interpreted in in modern rational times is. You don't want to pay attention to vanity during this time. But where it comes from, from medieval sources, is that mirrors were a dangerous portal where demons could enter your home. And death was considered to be a, a very marginal and dangerous time. You were in the precinct of death, and so you wanted to protect yourself against, evil, against demonic forces. And so you would cover your mirrors.
5: Against
0: women? Uh, well... Women associated with the demonic forces in the Middle Ages is, is rampant. So uh, that's not explicit, but I'd say it's probably, I would say it's implicit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know what preceded this, but maybe
5: women like, were the priestesses and men went to them, and now now here, uh, is it a recovery of women? It, can only men look at women, not
0: well, what I want to talk about is, I think it's fair to say that um, in order to, in, now we're speaking historical, historically, going back 2,500 years at least, uh, that Judaism wanted to consolidate, ancient Judaism wanted to consolidate all worship in the insight that there's just one deity, and that the deity has a pr- pr- predominantly male character. So, because um, when you study the the surrounding ancient Near cultures, they have lots of goddesses and lots of gods, right? So there's the so there's a lot been written about how the goddess gets um, uh, uh, mostly erased from uh, the biblical text, and that there are only hints in the biblical text that that that. The, that in practice the goddess was very present in ancient Israel. And I can show you all those. So part of what I like to do in, in our discussions is now that we are actively working to restore the pers- women's perspective and voices and sensibility to our conversation about the Torah, there seem to be throughout the book of Exodus, as we've discussed. Um, w- w- women's, women's activities are mostly suppressed, but there's enough clues between Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter and the midwives and Sipporah and now the women who serve at the tent that we can reconstruct, recreate, reanimate an understanding of, of, of uh uh the, the feminine women's roles in, in this text. And then that gives us an opportunity with our newfound um, uh, tenuous grip on feminist, feminism, um, that someone like Reverend Childs writing 100 years ago, who could only assume that these ladies were cleaning ladies standing outside the sanctuary, uh, but then when you actually look at the language, they're, holy, they're doing something holy. There's other aspects of that in Torah with the word kadeshah. So the root kadosh means holy, right? This is the, the, and holy means the precinct that is uh, where God's, God can dwell. And uh, when Judah is um, uh, out at the sheep shearing after his wife has died and his daughter-in-law Tamar, who he has done wrong by, this is Genesis chapter 38, she disguises herself as a kadeshah, a kadesha. okay so every biblical text translation translates that as prostitute or at best as sacred prostitute um, and it's like what 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 because the word kadesha means sacred so yeah then when you do this inter this cross cultural study you know Women served in these sanctuaries in all kinds of ways. And uh, the fact that our translations can only construe it as prostitute uh, follows the thrust <laughs> of the biblical text, which wants to denigrate the Kadeshah. Hosea, who's really into calling Israel a whore for going after other gods, uh, just, just has like, oh, uh, it's hard to read. The 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 way he takes he calls here. Wait, I'll read it anyway. <laughs> or 14.
8: And what
0: when is he dating? Uh Hosea is like um seventh or eighth century in the Northern Kingdom B yeah. C E. Uh um fourteen. Um uh, they sacrifice on the mountaintops and offer on the hills under oaks and poplars and terebinths, and whose shade is so pleasant. And that, so he's talking about people who aren't serving God in the temple, but are doing it in their sacred groves on the mountains and the hills. You know, uh, that is why their daughters fornicate and their daughters in laws commit adultery. Um, I, I will not punish their daughters for fornicating, nor their daughters in law for committing adultery, for they themselves turn aside with whores and sacrifice with prostitutes. But the Hebrew word is kadeshot, right? Um, they whore with these. What are kadeshot? You know, and why? Because there's also a word kadesh, which is, is the male version of this. So were, who were these? Who were these people in ancient israel kadeshah is a uh, has it, i don't know how to translate it um someone who a woman who i mean in ancient in ancient Babylonia there were uh, uh priestesses who would couple with the king in order to produce you know to for fertility you know in the in the you know was the god and the goddess mating it was this was holy the mythological stuff going on. But the Bible reduces it because they want to eradicate this from their, from the, from the story. Jewish story, and they, were, they, they just treat it as whoring. Sorry, what did you want to say? Does that word, Kadesh, uh, does it imply sex, or is it just a, holy, a person who's doing a holy job? It seems to imply sex, based on the context of, in which it is used in the Bible. However, Maybe the biblical writers wanted to compare it to prostitution or to, you know. It, so it's not exactly clear to me. Does that make sense? Uh, but yes, in the, in the Torah, it's clearly associated with sex. Uh, because Judah goes to a Kadeshah and has sex with her uh, in chapter 38. And later, when it's revealed that the Kadeshah was actually Tamar, so yeah it's associated with sex yeah um, uh, Gail and Helen and Blaze and Jane so
8: I want to say something I've said before but it, it's so where you are but the the Bible the Torah was put together sometime just during or right after the Babylonian exile
0: right this is and the this is the uh, the most what do you call it the most accepted uh, Understanding of when it was composed.
8: So, before, okay, I've been at the remains of the temple at Ararat, which dates to about, it was covered over at the time of Josiah, sometime around 620 BC, okay? At that time, in this temple, and it's thought to be that the other temples were like this, there is a tablet that's sitting there that says, Dedicated, you know, it's in, it's in the holy of holies of this temple. That says it's to Yudhebave. The one they don't show that's hidden away in the Jerusalem Archaeology Museum is the one that says this one is to Asherah. Asherah,
0: Astarte. Astarte Asherah is the female goddess who is Yudhebave or Baal or El's consort throughout the ancient, uh, throughout uh, the Canaanite, Hittite, Akkadian culture. So it appears, we know enough from archaeological history now that God, you, that God, our God had a consort, a, a female partner.
8: In our temples.
0: Yes, in our temples. And, well, we know that from the book of Kings.
8: We know that also. I know, I'm just saying, it's, it's for real.
0: <laughs> right. I've seen it. And,
8: and, and I'm dating it. So I'm saying that's 620. That, that, that was all covered over Josiah's 620
0: BCE. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, right. 587, not long after that, 40 years, okay, there's a reform. We get wiped out. The temple is destroyed. We get taken to Babylonia. And when we're in Babylonia, a lot of us assimilate. When Cyrus says we can go back to Palestine, most... or many, It wasn't
0: called Palestine. It was called Judea.
8: Judea. Do not. They don't go back. They're assimilated. We were undoubtedly... Fairly pagan in Babylonia, a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And it's at this time that the Torah's been put together. Right. So the people who were putting it together are saying, mm-hmm,
0: no, we can't, we, if we're going to.
8: But it's historically, it's in their face.
0: Hang it, yeah, if we're going to survive, we're going to cut out all foreign worship. So in uh, the second book of Kings, King Josiah's reform, it says the king ordered. Um, the high priest, Chilkiah, and all of his guards and priests of second rank uh, to bring out of the temple of the Lord, that's the holy temple in Jerusalem, all the objects made for Baal, Asherah, and all the Tzvaot of heaven, all the hosts of heaven. So they were all there. He suppressed the idolatrous priests, um, uh, and he brought out the image of Asherah, from the house of the Lord, Asherah, the feminine goddess, who was made out of wood, the tree of life, right? And uh, took it into the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it in the Kidron Valley. So this is during the period that um, that Gail is talking about.
8: And it isn't much after that, it's 40 years or so,
0: that the Babylonian takes us over. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yes, the, the consensus among scholars is that Uh, that if we're going to try to figure out when this book was really put together, it would be in the wake of the Babylonian exile as a a beleaguered Judean people are trying to um, rid themselves of foreign elements as they return from Babylonian exile. And uh, some of the least tolerant and harshest aspects of the Torah, they say, come from this period. Um, so thank you. Uh, more hands. Uh, I'm sorry, Helen. So,
5: so are we coming back to this that the women who performed tasks at the entrance to the tent that they were prostitutes?
0: No, I'm saying that it appears that women were part at some point in our ancient history. Women were a part of the priestly service to God. What
5: is the service? Uh,
0: that the service? No, no, sorry. These are not called kadeshot uh, there seems to have been a category of both male and female in ancient Near Eastern religious rites, whose job was sacred sexual union. That that by having a ritualized um, a ritualized uh, sexual union, it would uh, reflect the meeting of male and female, of heaven and earth, of 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 water, and you know, it's like, and that this human. Uh, this human ritual would reflect and facilitate and, and influence uh, the fertility of the whole world. Um, so, but if you find that to be an abomination, you're going to call it prostitution.
5: All right, so not prostitution, but okay. So they weren't prostitutes, but was it? There, there is something here in the uh, commentary at the bottom of the page that is hinting here that the priests got a bad reputation for sleeping with the women Yes, yes
0: so, yes. so let me read that let me read that to you the, other, a... the only other place in the Torah where we hear about women who have this task, tzovot, this the same word is in the book of Samuel at the beginning of the book of Samuel it says um, hold on Uh, now Eli is the high priest this is in the time before the temple when there's the sacred Mishkan, the tent of meeting is in uh, um, uh, Beth El this is the story of Hannah Uh, and uh, this is before Jerusalem, this is before the kingdom of David and Eli is the high priest and his sons are no goodniks But it's a hereditary job, so they're going to get the job. Um, Now, Eli was very old. When he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, I'm not reading all the other things they were doing, and how they lay with the women who who performed the sacred tasks outside the tent of meeting. So it appears that the high priest in ancient Israel, was not supposed to sleep with these women. They were not sacred prostitutes. Only these horrible kids of Eli, the high priest, are the ones who are saying, hey, there's women here, let's, let's, let's rape them. You, you know? So this is the other place where we hear that women were a regular part of ancient Israelite holy service. Right? And that Eli's sons are excoriated he says, why do you do such things? I get evil reports about you from the people on all hands. Um, but they ignored their father's plea, and the Lord resolved that they should die. So, um, so that's what the note you're reading. So
5: some people were taking advantage of these women who had tasks to do
0: Right. Not only some people. The, the, priest, the, yeah, the sons of the high priest.
5: Yeah, we're taking advantage of the women, women who had some other kind of task.
0: Some other kind of task or worship job, yes. something to do. Um, uh, this author notes that, um, let me read this to you, because this is very interesting. Um, comparative evidence points to women's cultic role in cultures of the ancient Near East An ancient brick inscription near Susa, which is Shushan, by the way, from 1365 BCE, tells of four women who functioned as guards at their sanctuary. Their task was to pray at the foot of certain statues. Uh, Several scholars have tried to demonstrate a connection between the women at the entrance of the tent of meeting and Arabic women back in the 5th century BCE, same time period, um, associated with the kuba. The Arab kuba housed sacred stones and was carried in processions into battle. (laughs) Remind you of anything? (laughs) The Ark of the Lord carries sacred stone tablets and was carried into battle ahead of the people. Right. So this is an ancient you know, thing. Uh, so the, the Arab kuba, sacred stones, was carried in processions into battle. In, the length, his length, in his lengthy study in the 1940s, Julian Morgenstern noted, in processions, the kuba was usually attended by two women mounted upon camels and following the kuba in the procession and playing the flute or tambourine. And into battle, the kuba would be followed by women, usually again mounted upon camel. Uh, the Ark retained all the characteristics and discharged all the functions of the kuba. Moreover, like the kuba, the Holy Ark too had its female attendants who performed some kind of ritual ministration to it. So I didn't know this stuff. You know, so the, uh, obvi- I do know that all of our customs and practices aren't unique, right? Everything is influenced by the surrounding cultures and then get put into the flavor of the particular culture that it is. But the fact that women with tambourines and women serving the, the, the statues in front of, so women had some holy priestly function. I think the Torah tends to want to vilify them as prostitutes and whores, right? And then uh, and we're off to the races. Uh, blaze and uh, I'll stop talking for a little while, yeah.
5: I think that, I don't know because I haven't looked it up, but I think that copper is said to have healing properties.
0: Yes, um, and the, 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 is, the, the copper uh, serpent uh, in the Book of Numbers heals when you look at it. Right, and mm-hmm.
5: also, I mean, I have like a glove of copper things in it for my arthritis that my physical therapist got for me, but, and water also, and both of these things are used in healing rituals. Mm-hmm. So, the role of women as healer may have some relevance to
0: what we're discussing. The women role as healers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Who's next? Barb? Jane? I'll keep going around.
7: I have to kind of try to form this in my head um, as I'm talking. Uh, so, having recently been to Israel, and there's the one entrance for non-Muslims to the Temple Mount, but... According to the rabbinate or the rabbis, Jews are not supposed to, right? Like,
0: oh, according not. to some some Jewish authorities, we're not supposed to step onto the Temple Mount lest we walk across the area that was was where the Holy of Holies stood.
7: But supposedly, people who are still high, pre- uh Kohen's, I'm guessing. I'm not sure. Are still allowed? Right?
0: Not exactly. No. no. No.
7: Okay. I guess I was interpreting that there were still some...
0: Only the high priest.
7: The high priest, so who is the high priest? There is no high priest anymore.
0: Okay. So only the high priest could enter into the precinct...
4: On one day.
0: On one day of the year where the Holy of Holies stood.
7: Okay, so these are not people who have come lineage. from, from the point...
0: Uh, No, that's not who it's describing. No, no, for those who who are concerned about desecrating that holy of holies with, you know, you just don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. Jane? So, yeah, I like
5: so much what Gail said about uh, um, the women being replaced, and and
8: then
5: what you said about the sacredness of men and Mm -hmm. women but wasn't <laughs> our vocabulary today our understanding wasn't there a time before when the sexual and the spiritual were one and it, men went to women to the whole thing was very spiritual and, it, it,
2: <laughs> and they were high
5: priestesses or goddesses or it wasn't a it wasn't to be looked down upon or uh, wasn't to be
0: Right, right. There's been a lot of a lot of written about a time when everything was okay that way. I see no evidence of that in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a kind of, kind of. Um, well, I wasn't going to use a. The, I, we all have a longing to think that one once upon a time there was a golden age, a Garden of Eden, <laughs> and that we just want to return to it. when I study the history of primates and human beings, I I don't necessarily buy that. But I I do see that there there were other cultures where um, uh, the the sacred feminine was more exalted, you could say. That didn't necessarily translate into how women were treated in those societies. Uh, But The goal would be to restore, and that's partly what what I want to do. I think this is what our contemporary discourse is about: can we restore the sexual into a truly, you know, and into it to its the place of sacredness that we intuit that it really belongs. Yes. Yes, and that's kind of where that's kind of the background of this whole discussion. Yeah, Miriam. Because I was just reading a book about this, H-A-R-E-D-I. I don't know a Haredi. H-A-R-E-D. Haredi. Haredi is the term. It means literally means tremblers before God. But anyway, the Haredim, people don't know what it means. Miriam, just a second. Yeah. The Haredim, that's the term referring to the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Okay. The do have describe, a job. Which I've
5: known from other places, other readings about that each Friday night after service that there's a special term where they have the husband and wife have sex and also after the, they're married that's immediately they go to the, uh, this place where they have sex.
0: Yes, that comes out of the Kabbalistic tradition from the 16th century that on Shabbat is the time so you cannot, as my teacher Art Green would would, would say, you cannot suppress the feminine uh, um, archetype. You know, it, it you can't do it. You know, you you get it forever. It's going to reemerge because that's the the reality principle, right? That's the way we humans are. So no matter how often an attempt has made. Been made in in various traditions. I mean, I'm thinking of um, uh, um, Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale, Tale. right, as an extreme dystopian example of the suppression of the feminine, right? Uh, So, what happens in Jewish mythological thinking is, even even when the queen of heaven gets banished. She returns to Jewish metaphor and imagery over and over again. So in the, so we practice this uh, here, too, with this ritual called Kabbalat Shabbat, welcoming the Sabbath. That's what our Friday evening service is. And it comes from the Kabbalistic idea that on the Sabbath, the Shekhinah, the divine feminine, and yod heh the divine masculine, unite as one and all, dis- all separateness and all duality is erased, which is the experience of sublime lovemaking, right, where the boundaries disappear for a little while and union is experienced. Um, and so the tradition, emer- the tradition emerged from that among these capitalists that they would attempt to, they would always want to um, a couple with their wives on Friday night to mirror and elevate the divine masculine and feminine coming together. So it's not just Haredim who follow that well, practice. That. That, so I, I'm almost there, Mark. thanks for being so patient. Um, um, so also, the Hebrew word for marriage is Kiddushin, sacredness, sacred holiness. That's the Hebrew word for marriage. So in the wake, and kadosh means a time of wholeness, unity, oneness, a place where the divine presence can dwell. And so there's also a tradition of, right after a wedding, of the bride and groom coupling, immediately after the wedding. Now, you could also... You could see that as a sublime, beautiful thing. You can also interpret it equally well as a sign of patriarchy, where the man immediately takes possession of his bride. So, you know, it all depends on how you look on how you look at it. Anyway, uh, Marka.
1: Um, well, also Friday, the symbol for Friday, is the symbol of the female. Is the sim- Venus is the planet that actually rules Fridays.
0: Oh, well, and Venus is the planet that, that is associated with the Shekhinah, with the divine feminine in Jewish tradition.
1: So I want to say something about the first two energy centers of the body, if one is working like with the middle pillar exercises or any shamanic traditions that actually are working with the physical body as the tree of life.
0: Just to, just to translate, middle pillar is a Kabbalistic term, for uh and the tree of life is the Kabbalistic map of both the cosmos and the soul and the psyche and uh so there's there are traditional practices that that marka practices with. Go ahead.
1: The first one is Keter. So it's the divine light it's not inside the body yet. It's masculine, it's like the seed coming down but it's not inside the body yet. The second one is associated with the moon and it's feminine. It's Elohim. So you get ehie here and Elohim here and the reason Elohim is gray colored, it's like the reason the moon is kind of silvery is because you've already worked through these two different areas of consciousness. One of which is black Bina and it's like the divine womb mm-hmm. so, so it's just really interesting because I've been walking around thinking of my head as the sun and the moon and as the mirror and as the so it's, it's like it's actually an embodiment of the relationship between the divine and the Shekinah in the throat, the moon in the throat mm-hmm. and those mirror each other I think part of the reason female roles often remain Secret is what if you look at the two angels that are about the two sides of the head? We've got Zafkiel, the hidden voice, mm-hmm. and Ratziel, the secrets. So there's something very secretive about feminine work, and there's something very small. So we get these images of, you know, psyche separating grains, or you get the constant spinning image. Rumpelstiltskin, mm-hmm. uh, Gretchen and Faust, right? It's like this physicalized feminine work that's so small that we don't have to see how unbelievably powerful it is and, and it's hidden.
0: Women's work.
1: Women's work.
0: Women's work which gets completely uh, devalued uh, in a society where that, where that operates on the great man theory of history, right? And great leaders, right. But so.
1: And I just, I I had a dream last night. I think because I've been exploring this idea of the sacred prostitute. And it's so horrific for most people. And I had a dream last night that everyone in this class called me a whore. And I I was just remembering that because I I was getting kind of agitated. Um, (laughs) But I really think it's important to look at archetypally. Like if anyone's ever read the book Siddhartha,
0: I remember Siddhartha.
1: You know, if you remember Kamala in the garden, if you remember this idea of a woman who is so beautiful and grounded and open and sexuality is not about clinging or even having like a, a consistent relationship, it's about having a moment of mirroring. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. I ever call you a whore I will be but, in that nicest sense thank you
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: but look how look how the, 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 um, that understanding of female sexuality of, of um, that open flowing would be uh, would be uh, cursed and demeaned and belittled and marginalized in, in uh, a society that wants to control women or it's right.
1: Turned into pretty woman. I mean what a horrible
0: thing we horrible. have. Horrible. Good good pun. <laughs> um, so but what I want to say is um, so Marka Marka is practicing Jewish shamanic practices. Gail mentioned that that it appears that a lot of what was going on in the ancient temple, shamanic, in ter- what's shamanic? It's a goal of crossing the boundary between the physical and the spiritual realms and integrating them. That's what shamans do. That's what medicine men do. That's what oracles do. That's what wise women do, and so um, behind all of this is is the the this it's it's all in there. So, yeah.
1: And can I just say something about shamanic processes? They're so weird because they're not intellectual per se, and like I hadn't read this passage. I hadn't read any ex you know any commentary or anything, but it was like you know a couple of weeks ago i had a dream that it was like you need a copper washing bowl to put next to the mirror in your room oh my goodness you know and i found one on ebay for 5 bucks i thought it is <laughs> it was pretty cool. but I'm just, it's like for me the shamanic practices have really opened me up to receiving information in different ways and starting to trust that you know
0: mhm Thank you. And it's
1: very strange when it just all correlates so beautifully.
0: <laughs> yep. you're tuned to the channel. I'm telling you. So now, in, I want to, with all this, you know, we're not drawing conclusions. I just wanted to put it all out there because there's this magnificent midrash. Um, that's well known and gets written about a lot about uh, these mirrors. Um, because what a strange sentence. Coming out of context, for instance, uh, you know some some writers point out that why is this verse different from all Why is it? Yeah, where where should it come in the parsha? Where should this verse come in the parsha? Uh, let's see, what page are we on? Six
3: nineteen.
0: Thank you. It's if you read the earlier part of the parsha, part of the portion, um, they give. It's an exhaustive list of um, all the things they give. They give their precious stones. They give their, their, their uh, fabrics. They give, their, they give it all. And then it goes on into all the construction with what they give. And then this verse, the one I focused on, says, and the women gave their mirrors. But wh- wh- what's it doing here? And fur- furthermore. The Tent of Meeting hasn't even been built yet. The whole thing is this very strange insertion. So it, it begs for interpretation. The tent of they're, they're building it right now. I thought they are building the Mishkan. That is they're synonyms. Synonym. Oh. Tent of meeting. The Tent of Meeting, Ohel Moed, is frequently used to describe this place, and Mishkan is the other term frequently used to describe this place. And I have not been able to figure out if there's a pattern to when one is being used or the other. But they're used repeatedly, dozens of times. It'll be called the of Ted- meeting or the Mishkan, which means the tabernacle is the sanctuary. So I don't know why. I haven't figured that out. But um, OK. So um, here's the Midrash. The rabbis want to make sense of this, and they say, um, "Why are these mirrors so important?" Because when Pharaoh decreed uh, against Israel at the beginning of the book, and said uh, and doubled their labor, and was terrified that they were multiplying too fast, that the Israelites were filling the earth and, and reproducing. So he gave them such heavy labor. And the word gazar means to decree, but it also means to cut off. And gazera is a decree, like the way things are. This is the way it is. That's what a gazera is. You know, when we, on Yom Kippur we say, um, but you know, the, the, the evil decree is that we're all going to die, is that, is that death is awaiting us, but um, repentance, prayer, and acts of loving kindness can mitigate the evil decree. So Pharaoh is like the decree. And the decree is that the rabbis say, You cannot sleep at home nor have relation with your wives. Now, the Torah doesn't say this, the Torah just says that they had to work double. But the rabbis say, ah, but they also had to work so hard that they had to sleep in the fields and couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be with their wives, make love, or make babies because Pharaoh didn't want that. So what did the daughters of Israel do? They would go down to draw water. This is a fanciful midrash. Listen to this. They would go down to draw water from the river. And God would prepare for them little fish in their buckets. And they would sell some of them and cook some of them and buy wine with the proceeds and go to the field and feed their husbands as it is, as it is said in the field. And when they had eaten and drunk, the women would take their mirrors and look into them with their husbands. And she would say, I'm more beautiful than you are. And he would say, I'm more beautiful than you are. And they would, in other words, they would play. They would seduce each other. They would they play. They would play. And as a result, they would accustom themselves to desire. And they were fruitful and multiplied. It goes on. Some of our sages said, they bore two children at a time. Others said they bore six at a time. Others said they bore 12 at a time. And so they said 600,000. And all of these offspring came from the mirrors. In the merit of these mirrors, which they showed their husbands to accustom them to desire, from the midst of their harsh labor and exhaustion, they raised up all the tzvaot, all the hosts. As it is said, all the hosts, the legions that went out of the land of Egypt in chapter twelve, God brought the children of Egypt, uh, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt in all of their tzavot. So they're playing a pun on our sentence, verse eight here. When God told Moses, so that's the background. Who and it's simply to me, it's a it's a, it's a amazingly imaginative, beautiful extension of everything about the first chapters of Genesis of Exodus. Because it's all about the women who are making sure the Israelites are still alive, right? the midwives and Miriam and her mother and Pharaoh's daughter. It's all, they're the ones who are sustaining things. So now going to this verse. When God told Moses to make the tabernacle, the whole people stood up and offered whatever they had, silver, gold, copper, etc. Everyone eagerly offered their treasures. And the women said, hmm, what have we to offer? So they brought the mirrors to uh. Moses. When Moses saw those mirrors, Moses, the lawgiver, Moses, he was furious with them. He said to the Israelites, take sticks and break their thighs. You know, it's like it's mafia. T- <laughs> what do they need mirrors for? And God said to Moses, Moses, you should be ashamed of yourself. You despise these mirrors? These mirrors saved all the hosts in Egypt, all the Israelites in Egypt. You take these mirrors and make of them this copper washbasin for the priests to sanctify themselves. As it is said, and he made the copper washbasin of the mirrors of those who created the hosts. Okay, so the pun here is that the woman who served is also the women who were Created Svaot, the hosts of Israel. You know, when Pharaoh wanted to wipe us out, we were fruitful and multiplied. So this is a really complicated, sort of myth, mythic, you know, mythical kind of telling, but it's so beautiful. Where's midrash, midrash Tanchuma, one of the classic Midrash collections. Have you ever heard it? No, oh, it's gorgeous. It's great, isn't it? Okay, so the rabbis are telling the story, they, they want to explain the anomaly in our verse, verse 8. It says, they're saying, just like we're saying, what's with these mirrors? And what's with this word, tzv'ot, what hosts? So You know, what do women have to do with all of this? And they put it all together in this beautiful story where because of the women's mirrors, they were able to raise up the legions of Israel that would leave Egypt. Because they wouldn't allow desire to be suppressed and um, um, uh, uh, made illegal. Right? That's not the word I was trying to think of. But hold on, let me just f- finish my paragraph. And they, they wouldn't allow desire, sexual desire, love, to be marginalized and criminalized eradicated, eradicated, squashed, all those things that Pharaoh was decreeing. No sex.
3: And on another level, they wouldn't allow themselves not to be seen and not to see.
0: Mm -hmm. This is the hidden narrative uh, that I see the rabbis uh, in, despite the fact that, you know, rescuing here. A hidden narrative. Here's the narrative of Exodus, Red Sea, Plagues, Red Sea, Mount Sinai, Moses, but Moses without the feminine will fail, Mm -hmm. right? Because he doesn't, there's something he can't understand that Miriam and the women understand. Uh, 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 Hold on. uh, This is really fast. Okay, go ahead. I just
1: want to say that both Moses and Aphrodite are in the same Sephirot of Netzach, which is really interesting.
0: That's fascinating. And what did you want to say, Miriam?
5: I was just thinking is that in every Aborigine culture it is hidden is the feminine behind the chief. Mm-hmm. So that the and I was just thinking they would have had the passion
0: to leave Egypt if the women hadn't That's had right. that available to them. So the 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 central thrust of rabbinic midrash about all of this is that the women were the ones who believed that they could get to the Promised Land. The women refused to give um, their jewelry to the golden calf. That, and the way the rabbis say this in the Talmud, it was, on the, it was on the merit of the women that we were able to enter the Promised Land. So what is that feminine quality, knowledge, Wisdom, power—that the rabbis are, are like trying to express. Do you follow what I'm mm-hmm. what I'm saying, uh, Helen? Did you want to say? They're
5: this? trying to express it, but in such a way you have to dig. Why can't they just say it?
0: <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Why do you have to
5: imagine all this and try and have a midrash about? This? Why only two sentences?
0: Right, uh, because.
5: And paragraphs and everything else. We weren't like trying to like cut down the words. It wasn't a tweet. Here, here.
0: (laughs) Helen, here, here. We have a challenge, which is that we love Judaism. Judaism is filled with priceless wisdom and values. And it was forged in a patriarchal setting where we have to hunt through the text and through for, so that we can reelevate the feminine. But they're not going to tell us this, you say.
5: The, the, this, they're trying to tell it, but they can't
0: seem to spit it out. Nope, they can't spit it out because you know. So, uh, yeah, I know. So some people give up on this stuff, um, but I love it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon?
5: They didn't have to put this little sentence in at all. I say So they put it in. They put they won't,
0: they won't it's I'd say we have these we I can't I can't answer this question, but it feels like that's why I like the way Aviva Zornberg talks about it. There is a suppressed counter-narrative right, that we need to find the clues of and then kind of reweave in the light of day. That's that's how I wanted to approach this today. Um, that you cannot squash it. And so the clues there are going to remain. You know, you can't just have a rule book the, the, that says this is how you live because life is fueled by love and desire and, um, you know, our, so the woman behind the man, the dark feminine, the earthy the 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 uh, the fertile the you know there's this desire for us just to go for the light a particularly masculine desire and uh, now I'm not just talking about men and women I'm talking about this 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 division we have between in our in our Western psyche between spirit and flesh you know we have to somehow both experience Think our way, live our way into a reintegration, as Jane was saying, when of, of a of a place where we're one we're one integrated being, and we have this is not a problem just of the Bible, you know, this is a problem of, of uh, maybe it's just a human problem, uh, yeah.
5: My completely uneducated answer to your question is: I think patriarchy developed because men are basically afraid of women. They, in other words, whoever was, when they were putting this together, they, they were not in not a position. They were thinking that, but they were not in a position to put it out there. <laughs> they were afraid of women. So they created you know, they, many, many efforts to, to put women down, to keep them in a lower place, because uh, women make life.
0: Women that? make life. Women bleed. Women, you know.
1: Go in cycles.
0: Go in cycles. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> you know, absolutely. I don't have the answer to these questions at all, except that uh, I understand what you're saying, Helen. What
5: I'm saying is that they believed it too, or they would have left this out. They didn't have That's that. right. So they recognized it, yeah. but they were not in a position just to apparently. Let, Helen,
0: let, let's do it this way. Let's put it in terms of dream analysis, psychoanalysis, uh, a, a, a really smart therapist who listens to the narrative someone's telling about their life. That's all like in the light of day. And then I did this. And then this happened. And then an errant phrase pops out. And the therapist goes, wait a minute. Could we explore this a little more? Because I don't think the self you've constructed sort of above the surface here of your life is taking into account the richness of your entire being. And so I like to approach the text in that way, in that that very way. Here is the presenting narrative. Egypt, promised land, right? But then if you look closer, you find a much richer rather than linear uh, path. that's the way I like to look at the text. Is that the right way to look at it? I don't know. I like it because of all the, all the treasures it yields. Um, so that's what I have to say about it. Yeah? Because it's not
8: just in the issues around women. There are other parts of the text where there's a counter story that's, I mean, it permeates Torah, mm-hmm. where there's the main, I mean, the whole issue about the Akedah. And you know, the next section, Sarah dies. How come? Right. And there's so much else to that one, but so I sort of have this feeling or thought, you know, it's sort of like a committee saying, okay, how are we going to put this together? You know, whether we don't know, but it could have been a bunch of people having just been on a committee of ten people where
5: I kept getting outvoted, <laughs> <laughs> but I could get in a little bit here, <laughs> there, wow.
8: there but then I got outvoted. Then a little bit over You know, I mean, that's, that's
0: I think, maybe how it was working. Yes. That's all. It's only how to Right. What if life is inherently multi, multivocal, different <laughs> layers, paradoxical, you know, and we want to tell a cohesive narrative about our life, a coherent narrative, and that's important. Otherwise, we just feel like everything's chaos. But what if we're brave enough, to allow multiple kind of messy, enriching, juicy, complicated, enlivening stuff to be part of it rather than just want to make sure we know what the rules are. You know, that's, that for me, life's much richer than the rules. Like, brave
8: enough. I'm saying specifically, maybe it was a group of people doing the first round and then it got edited again. And- you know and, and they, they didn't agree with you. You know, the, the Talmud has all oh
0: the so oh, right, so right so that's what i'm saying that's I great know. so here's the book where so and so managed to get their line in there <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah i like that i like that yeah. whoever that was right. <laughs> and when you have a collective you get a much richer sort of uh, um, sort of stew oh okay that's beautiful <laughs> so Little look at that rabbinic midrash, little fishes, that's a sign of fertility. The water, they cook, they they buy wine, they go out to the field, they feed their husbands, and then they start playing with mirrors. Um, That's what they're, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, complicated image because when we say something, when we're playing with mirrors, that also means that we're abandoning the obvious straight. You know, playing with mirrors means reflecting. It means it, it's got a, it's all this playful language. So, and Moses in that midrash is the opposite of playful. He's like, we got a mishkan to build. <laughs> and God says, Moses, you still don't get it. Without this energy of sexual, loving, playful, fecund. um, uh, You're never going to have a place where the presence of God can dwell. You need the sacred feminine in my structure. Um, And uh, not only that, make it this washing bowl that the priests have to gaze into and immerse themselves in before they can enter into the sanctuary. Maybe it's, a, it's, maybe it's even like putting a sacred feminine um, reminder for the male priests. So on the one hand, you could interpret this as, look at this, the women's mirrors, that sign of power, sexuality, gets erased in our Mishkan. Or maybe you could read it, these, this in, it can't be erased. It has to be included there so that we can remember the, um, uh, that it was the women and their desire for life and love that was what saved us from Pharaoh's decree. That's where I want to take it to. Well yeah, uh, so
2: so back to what you were saying about the, the integration of the male and female. so
0: talk a little louder.
2: Back to the integration of the male and the female, and that has to happen in each person as as well. It has mm-hmm. to happen in the men, it has to happen in the women. So if this washing basin thing with the mirror is to remind the men, hey, you have to bring the feminine in with you. You can't just bring your male power, you gotta bring your, your female energy with you into this holy place. Is there an equivalent for the women where they mm-hmm. have to remember that they also need the male energy? Let's to, talk to about get it. That?
0: Well, no, that I'm aware of, because this is a book about men. (laughs) You understand? That's my first thought about that. But I want to hear what other people's reaction to that is. Uh, Deborah, did you have a thought?
3: Well, I just think that that's what's sane. You know, how that plays out or doesn't play out in the text is another thing. But obviously, what's sane, what's right, is we need those balances within ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. See, I don't want to speak for women. Uh, uh, and, um, yes, I mean, my experience with many, many women is that their, their richness is indescribable, but their manifestation of their power is, is, is uh, limited. And uh, so, yes, I want women to integrate that Mos- Moses quality, The you know, into their being, whenever possible. That's I think that's partly why the last election was so exciting and invigorating. But
2: then and those, painful. And <laughs> painful. Oh yeah. But but the, the Torah
1: doesn't really address that. Anybody
0: frame. have thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Isn't there a, isn't there a, a visual of the tabernacle somewhere in this? Yes, I can I show just it to you. Can't
0: find it. Uh, it's on page.
1: Forty-four.
0: Oh, you're fast. Sorry. Five. Five forty-four. So, as a, as a place that is a microcosm of both, of the cosmic, 544, a microcosm of cosmic uh, order and also a macrocosm of each of our individual, it's a, you know, as above, so below. Everything's recapitulating. We want to integrate the masculine and feminine internally. Right. We want to do it interpersonally. Right. We want to do it cosmically, right, so... So So if you're looking at that... I would
1: say two things. I would guess that there's... It's just my intuition, but I guess that there's some... Do you know what Herms are? Herms? Named after Hermes. They're stones. They've been around since ancient Samaria. They're stones that are kind of phallic-shaped, and they're usually put at crossroads. But they're also often put in the entrance of of temples. There's some sort of stone... That so I'm just to address that question of whether there's some sort of way for women to integrate with a masculine symbol I would also say that the inner sanctums the fire being lit does have to do with the integration of both male and female desire and then it not you know, it's like the burning bush, the fire that does not consume Mm -hmm. so that I, I think there is a Nod to that integration there within the inner sanctum, within the flame.
0: Nice, nice. Michael? Well,
4: the the sacred flame is understood as that which rises up, understood as spirit, and water is that which which finds the low places, Mm -hmm. the Chinese. Right. And the uh, way the unions talk about it is the difference between Logos and Eros, or between Apollo and Dionysus. So those, those two principles, logos and eros, eros is connective, but logos is transcendent.
0: Logos meaning knowledge. The, right, at, like the spoken word. Mm-hmm. So eros being
4: that which connects. Mm-hmm. So the juiciness factor that speaking of. But There's um, one other thing I want to well, yes. The, the contemporary Jungians are talking about the distinction between spiritual activity and soulful activity, and spirit has to do with transcendent in the way that a, that a um, church-style aspiration goes upward.
0: Aspiration. Mm-hmm. It gets
4: us out of time, so to pursue the pursuit of the eternal
0: elevates us. Elevates us.
4: But the soul work is to enter fully into one's manifestation, one's incarnation, and to create stories and histories and to invest in life, and to
0: appreciate, and to enjoy. That's so nice, because when you think of the word soulful, it's not something disconnected from our body. It's something really, really rich, isn't it? A rich word. Yeah. Thank so you.
4: Know, the one, I
0: think, is, is ruach, and the other is neshama. Nice. Ruach being aspiration, aspiration. neshama being the end, the, that soulfulness. Uh-huh. our physical being. Barb?
7: This is so nothing. What you just so <laughs> Who knows? It's like, it's like following up somebody who's just presented the Oscar. Anyway, <laughs> um, I was thinking about the melting down. We were talking about the mirrors and all that. But I was also thinking about the melting down process and what's become of these things that have been melted down. Now, specifically here, we're talking about mirrors. But so over history, uh, bronze and copper and things that have been, whether it's jewelry mm-hmm. or whether it's mirrors, that are used in times of war to be melted down to use for weapons. But here we are, it's being melted down you know, for the use that we're talking about.
0: Beautiful. So they shall beat their swords into plowshares there and, their, mm-hmm. and their spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not learn... That shall not make war in other nations, neither shall they study war anymore. Uh, I have a thought just uh, that might connect the beginning of what I said two hours ago and this uh, this moment. So the mirrors. I read to you all of the beautiful, um, uh, th- th- that, that interesting article that, that 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 got us thinking about this image of mirror the ankh the feminine symbol the source in the re, the rabbis understood it as the awakener of desire when you look upon yourself and your beloved this the a mirror that that uh reflects um that but also distorts that that doesn't take doesn't that that take that puts a different uh on things, that, all those things that, that, that mirrors can mean. And, they, and these women decide to contribute their mirrors that saved our lives from Pharaoh to the, um, and these are the women who, tzofor, who serve at the sanctuary. So um, So I wanted to say, maybe we can take that strange errant verse and make it a central, verse that we study. That's, that, that's one way to reflect on, you know, there's so many words. So which words are we going to elevate from this mass, massive text? Um, that, the, uh, that if we look at this sanctuary that's being constructed by B'tzalel, this, this inspired craftsman who has divine wisdom coming through, um, and the purpose of the sanctuary is to be a place where heaven and earth can touch where human beings can experience this, this utterly um, uh, ephemeral, divine presence that also is essential to, to us at the same time, then we want the, we want the women's contribution, the, the feminine contribution, the contribution that saved our lives from Pharaoh because they would not give up on life and love to be in this place that the priests have to wash themselves in in order to be fit to enter into the presence of God. And that would be how I would take that strange little verse and elevate it into, uh, in, 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 into us. It's a more central place. Rob?
6: and I would just maybe slightly amend that by saying they immerse themselves in the water versus wash themselves. In the immerse.
0: Very nice. Because it's the immersion. They're not actually cleans- cleaning themselves. They're immersing themselves so that they can become the fit. Immersing themselves in the feminine. in this the, that, that wash basin, by the way, it, <clears throat> the, uh, the rabbis compare. This is a whole other class. The rabbis compare every object, every sacred object in the sanctuary to some aspect of the natural world. <clears throat> And this, the, the, the basin is supposed to represent the sea uh-huh. uh, in, in, in the rabbinic understanding. So yes, in the, in the mother water, the waters of the mother, in the, in the amniotic fluid, in the, you know, in the great unconscious, all of those things that have feminine overtones and, and meanings in, 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 our, in the way we think about it, they have to immerse themselves in it. Otherwise, they'll be like Moses and say, go get out of here. I'm busy doing important stuff and then completely misunderstand what it means to, to create a dwelling place for God. Miriam?
5: Well, it makes me think of this song of songs song being included. That's because right. That's the same sense of going beyond, you know, really immersing in the poetry.
0: I am dark and comely, my love, yes. Yes, and you are echoing. Um, Again, the Song of Songs is part of this in a very important way to balance out the lawgiver. There's the lovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael, did you want to add something?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's strange. We, we spend a lot of time in Venus when we ignore the moon. It's the, the archetype of reflection.
0: Uh, and Marka mentioned the moon and we should, we should make sure the moon is present along with the sun, right?
4: Yes, because it's just the sun's in
1: Bodyman. thats what I was saying. It's here and
0: here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the Zohar says that King David was a king by day and a poet by night, which is another way of uh, of expressing this. In the light of the sun, uh, the the lawgiver, but at night there's a whole other energy that makes everything balance. <laughs> there's a
4: Latino you know, love song which goes something
0: like. Let's end with a love song, please, Michael. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I fell in love It was, love by, by night. The moon enchanted me. Next time I fall in love, and fall in love during the daytime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you sing it? Are you in the mood? <laughs>
4: Oh, wow.
0: thank, you. thank you. Thanks, everybody, for going on the journey with me. Uh,
3: thank
5: cool. you.